Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining in this week on the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here, as always, with co-host, dear friend, Miss Wendy Bats. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Marty. How are you? Great. I, it's going to be a very interesting topic this week. And, you know, the, the name of the topic is going to catch people's attention. But we are going to talk today with a very special guest who Wendy will introduce. But we are going to talk about how to look good naked. Yes. Who doesn't want to look good naked? And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to bring Dr. Guillermo Escalante in to join us because this man, um, he's an, you know, an assistant dean. He's a professor. He's on the NASM advisory board. He's also one of our lead subject matter experts when it was built, when we built the uh, bodybuilding and physique or physique and bodybuilding course uh, that you can find on NASM. And so we figured Dr. G would be the best person to discuss this topic with us. So let's go ahead and bring him on in. Hey, Dr. G, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Well, we know that you're taking a lot of time out of your schedule to join us live today on the Master Instructor Roundtable. And I'm just going to start with the questions because the first question that I get all the time, especially when we talk about how to look good naked, are, well, I want to tone my body. I need to tone it. I want to tone it so I look a certain way. But can you tell everyone and, and myself even, what does that really mean? Yeah, I know when I used to work as a personal trainer and I would ask people, uh, hey, you know, what, what are your goals? That was one of the biggest uh, requests I would have is I want to I want to improve my muscle tone. I want to get quote unquote tone. And uh, one of the things that I usually uh, when I when I when I'm teaching uh, individuals is I basically try to break down that misnomer. It's like what is muscle tone? And really, you know, muscle tone is uh, basically a component of two things. You can't really tone a muscle. Uh, it's really a look that we're after, and and that look that you're after is basically having low body fat. And having a little bit of muscle uh, on there. Now, the quantity of muscle is going to be dependent on you uh, and what your particular goals are. But uh, you can't have a muscle, quote unquote, look tone if there's no muscle there. Uh, so we want to make sure that we have uh, enough muscle so that it can show, um, and then also reduce the body fat, uh, particularly the subcutaneous fat, which is the, the fat that's underneath the skin, so that you can actually appreciate and, and see that muscularity. Uh, as you go through. And then, of course, there's different levels of leanness um, and that you can go kind of uh, above and beyond and get extra, extra lean. And now you may be able to see muscle striations, which is uh, now that may be beyond what you may want to see. And then kind of finding that 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 nice midway point where uh, most people are kind of comfortable with, with where the muscle actually looks good. Excellent. Thank you for that explanation. Makes a lot of sense. But one of the things that I've always heard, and I'm sure Wendy could vouch this, and it's the same to you, Dr. G, is people say, you know, can you turn fat into muscle? You know, can you explain why this is not possible? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things, you know, that muscle <laughs> turns to fat, fat turns to muscle. And that that is another misnomer in the fitness industry. It just simply does not happen. There, there are two different biological tissues. So uh, you have muscle is primarily composed of, uh, of protein. Uh, and actually muscle tissue in itself, you, you have the, the primary com uh, composition of muscle tissue is actually water. So it's, a, it's over 70% water. Uh, then you have protein uh, and you have some connective tissue that's gonna be in there. Um, and, and those are gonna be your, your major components of 
the actual muscle tissue. By the way, muscle also has a little bit of fat. So you have intramuscular fat that's actually part of the muscle tissue as well that's actually uh, inside of the muscle itself. So you have these different components. Uh, of course, the, the difference is, is adipose tissue is uh, made of primarily fat tissue. It's, it's, it's adipose tissue. Uh, so it's going to be about 80, 85% uh, of that. It's going to have other components, a little bit of water, uh, but it's going to have much less of a water component than muscle tissue. Uh, fat is only going to have typically, oh, about 10% of that's going to be uh, water. And there's going to be other small amounts of other molecules in there. Uh, but you really can't, physiologically, they're just two different types of tissue. One doesn't turn into another. So you have to build muscle and you have to lose, lose fat. And of course, the, the fat cells themselves, they actually just shrink or they, or they hypertrophy. So they get bigger or they get smaller. So as you're losing body fat, those, actually, those fat cells just simply get smaller. The number of fat cells really doesn't change. Uh, you have the same number of fat cells. You just actually have smaller amounts or uh, smaller versions of, that, so of those same fat cells. And then of course, as you are overeating um, and you're, you become less physically active, what occurs then is you, you create this calorie surplus, your body's not utilizing the energy, so it's gonna store it. Where's it gonna primarily store it? It's gonna store it as fat stores. And then now those fat cells are gonna grow or hypertrophy, they're gonna get slightly bigger. And then if you go in a caloric deficit, more physical activity, now those fat cells are gonna start to shrink and then you're gonna actually, uh, the, the size of those cells is gonna look, it's gonna be smaller and then you're gonna lose the body fat in that regard. Uh, muscle is another com completely different component where you actually have to build up uh, that muscle. And that's pr practically done by increasing muscle protein synthesis. So to build muscle, uh, you have to be in, in what's called a positive nitrogen balance, which means you have to basically uh, have, have a higher amount of muscle, pro muscle protein synthesis and a lower amount of muscle protein breakdown. How do you do that? Well, you do that with resistance training and you do that with appropriate nutrition uh, taking in uh, adequate number of calories and an adequate num quantity of protein so that actually you can uh, support the muscle protein synthesis process so that the muscle itself can build. Love it. You make that sound so easy and this is all it is. So <laughs> if you guys have questions for Dr. G, please be sure to put them in the chat. We are live. We want to make sure that we get these questions answered Today, we're talking about how to look good naked with Marty Miller and myself, and of course, Dr. G being our special guest. And you talked about, and this is one of my favorite things that I often get as well, when we start talking about strength training and we're going to start lifting heavy, we're really going to start working on gaining muscle, that automatically sets off this red flag, especially, I hate to say this, but unfortunately to my females, that if I lift heavy or if I lift weights even, I'm going to get big and bulky. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I wish it was that easy to, to gain muscle uh, because otherwise uh, every bodybuilder would be 1,000 pounds of lean muscle mass, and, and it's just not that easy. Now, remember that the, the, the world's largest individuals, that the, the top-tier ranked bodybuilders, uh, they spend years upon years upon years just to, to build that muscularity. Um, and, and to give you an example, uh, you know, having the, the world's best genetics um, and using the, the latest amount of uh, technology in terms of uh, bodybuilding supplements, bodybuilding nutrition, bodybuilding training, uh, 
really even the most um, gifted individuals may be able to gain 30 to 50 pounds of muscle mass over the course of their career. Uh, so it's, it's really not, not very common. And you, you see a few that maybe reach that threshold. They actually put on 50, maybe 60 pounds of, of muscle mass over the course of you know, 15, 20 years of doing it over and over again. Uh, that being said, uh, most of us are not that genetically gifted where we can actually gain 30, 40, 50 pounds of muscle mass uh, over the course of uh, 10 years, 20 years. So uh, this is their life for so long. Uh, so that being said, for the average individual, sure, you'll gain a little bit of muscle mass uh, and depending on, on your genetics um, and uh, depending on, on your, your training protocol and, and what it is you're doing um, and how you're eating, you can gain a little bit of muscle mass, but the reality is, is most individuals will gain, you know, at most uh, one, maybe one and a half pounds of muscle per month. Um, and it's gonna, and that's gonna, you're gonna have initial newbie gains for the first few months. And then after that, it's gonna plateau because you're gonna start reaching your genetic potential. So yes, you can still build muscle, but it's not, it's not a straight line. It's not a linear progression. So kind of goes this way and then it's going to start tearing off and then uh once you've been building for a while so after you know a couple of years of training one or two years of training you don't just continually grow muscle uh in a very easy fashion uh it, it actually takes a lot of work uh so that being said being bulky is really not a problem that uh 99.9 of the people are going to have the other thing you want to think about too is uh you have to look at the 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 hormone profiles which are going to be a little bit different between uh, males and females, although there's been some studies to kind of even question that component. Uh, but regardless, there there are various factors that are going to be called into play for your ability to put on uh, muscle mass over time. Uh, and it, the reality is, it's just not that easy uh, to, to gain muscle, um, especially large quantities of muscle. So getting bulky is not a problem. Um, it's just not. <laughs> Yes, I, I can testify that for all my years of trying my best. So it's all it's good. Um, but can you talk about the muscle gains that we would usually see in like a training program? And I know you're big into research. So maybe you can talk about like the longitudinal studies that we've seen in what's called natural participants. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you look at some of the, the training protocols that, that you see, uh, you really don't see uh, a lot of muscle gained uh, over time. So uh, you you really look at some of those uh, in terms of uh, what what kind of muscle gains you can actually expect. Um, and uh, as I stated earlier, really what you what you see is uh, in, in the neighborhood of about you know one to two pounds of muscle and this is over the course of a, of a training program uh, that's specifically geared, uh, for for the gaining uh, gaining the muscle mass over time, um, so uh, there's there's been several studies that actually have, have kind of been pooled, and then uh, you can actually see uh, this here. So the, the one example that I wanted to give was uh, this uh, meta analysis with uh, they took 158 people, uh, almost 2,000 participants in there, and um, they basically showed you know a, a net gain of lean mass of about. Uh, for untrained people of about one and a half kilograms, so that's a little over three pounds, and then of only uh, one kilogram for the, uh, for the trained individual. So this is what I was saying earlier, that uh, as you have more training experience, you're actually going to have uh, 
the ability to put on muscle mass is going to significantly decrease. So you can see that untrained people typically gain again about maybe three, four pounds of of uh, of, uh, of muscle mass over time, whereas untrained individuals only gain about about uh, maybe two pounds of, of muscle mass over time. So uh, that kind of gives you again a good idea of what, what you can expect over time, um, and you can just see. That I mean, looking at 2,000 people that train in training protocols specifically designed for that, you know, you're really only seeing a handful of pounds in in a 10 or 12 week training program. Awesome. Well, I know there's always a lot of confusion around the the situation when it comes to what you just talked about. You've got, you know, in order to lean out. There needs to be a calorie deficit in order to gain muscle. You need to think about eating protein. So sometimes increasing your amount of calories that you, in order to quote, grow or get big. So can you talk a little bit about how can someone lose fat, but gain muscle in the same time? Or is that even possible? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually uh, do a lot of talks on this, which is that, that, that term uh, that we use is called body recomposition. So body recomposition is the phenomenon of gaining muscle and losing fat at the same time, which is kind of the unicorn that we're all trying to accomplish. Like who doesn't want to gain some muscle and lose fat at the same time? Um, and the bottom line is it is possible, but it, it, it depends. It's more possible in certain individuals. So the people that are going to be more able to do that are going to be those that are uh, very untrained, detrained individuals that are sedentary, uh, those that are overweight uh, or obese, and are sedentary, those are the, the primary candidates that are gonna be able to uh, gain muscle and lose fat uh, actually rather easily. In fact, if you look at some studies, uh, these individuals can, they don't even have to lift weights. Sometimes even just doing a cardiovascular intervention, they're able to gain muscle mass because they're so deconditioned that the aerobic exercise itself is, is enough of a stimulus to actually build some muscle over time. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, you're gonna have individuals Let's say you've been lifting for 10, 15 years. You're kind of at the top of your genetic ceiling already. You're doing a lot of things right. You're eating uh, the right amount of calories, right amount of protein. You've been training right for 10 years, uh, 15 years. Those individuals are going to have very little success in being able to uh, body recomp because they're they're already probably already uh, have more muscle mass than most individuals. Again, they're at the top of their genetic ceiling. Uh, and they're probably relatively lean since they're doing all of the things right. And then there's, of course, people that are kind of in the middle. So if you've had an injury, for example, uh, and you had to take a break and you're going to go back to training, um, again, you're probably going to do some body recomposition at that point in time. If you if you have, have training experience and you maybe took a two or three year break for whatever reason uh, and you're going to go back to training, you'll probably do, be able to do both at the same time. Um, that being said, it's, it's not necessarily, uh, if you're a very trained individual, I'm going to say it's not the best way to approach your goals because you really kind of want to prioritize. I either want to lose body fat or I want to gain muscle for the very trained individual. Um, the other people, you could probably get away with a little bit of both uh, depending on what their primary goals are. Uh, of course, the road to to either gaining muscle or losing fat is going to be a little slower if you're trying to accomplish both at the same time, because to lose body fat most efficiently, you have to create a caloric deficit and to gain muscle most efficiently, you actually have to eat at a slight surplus. So uh, you have that conundrum there to be able to, to do both most effectively.
Gotcha. Thank you for that, Dr. G. And for those of you that are just joining us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, myself, Marty Miller, here with co-host Wendy Batts, we are talking about how to look good naked with an expert and contributor from our physique and bodybuilding coach. He's on our um, advisory board, Dr. Guillermo Escalante. So, Dr. G, question for you. If I want to lean out or if people want to lean out, I think there's been some rumors about weightlifting, not weightlifting. Can you talk about the advantage of using resistance training and maybe even more like your bodybuilding type of protocol if somebody is looking to lean out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think this is this is another misnomer because I, I even caught some of my students when they were doing presentations in, in an exercise prescription class, you know, and then uh, they would say, you know, Mrs. Jones wants to lose uh, lose body fat therefore we're going to only do cardio for the first two months of the program and then um you know uh hopefully if they presented that uh they they would know why they made a mistake uh because uh, aerobic training is important but uh one of the keys to weight loss is actually resistance training and uh uh of course you have to look at i and I, i'm gonna backtrack a little bit we want to differentiate between weight loss and fat loss because they are very different uh, they're, they're similar, but they're indeed quite different. So weight loss is just what did you lose on the scale, right? I went from 200 pounds down to 170 pounds. Great, you lost weight. Fat loss can look different, right? We, what we look at, what we really want to do when we're actually working with a client, we don't just want weight loss, we want fat loss. And fat loss is going to be where the, the, where the, the money is really at. Uh, we want to lose, we don't want to lose water weight. We don't really necessarily want to lose muscle uh, mass. Uh, but we want to lose fat mass, and that's the important thing. So when you're creating a program to do, do that, this is, this is where the weight training component is going to be very critical. You may not lose as much, essentially more fat weight by doing the resistance training program. So, so uh, doing the resistance training program uh, at least three to five days a week is actually quite critical to help you to accomplish that. And then why is that? Well, number one, you do burn calories when you're doing weight training, um, but uh, compared to maybe doing an hour of weight training compared to an hour of aerobic exercise, high intensity aerobic exercise, you're probably gonna burn less calories doing the, the, the weight training versus the aerobic training in that one hour. But over the course of a 24 hour period, you're actually gonna probably burn more calories in the resistance training than in the uh, aerobic training uh, over the course of that 24-hour period. And part of that is, is as your, as your body is uh, phased with that resistance training protocol, um, it's going to have to recover and it's going to have to spend a lot of energy for you to be able to uh, come back and to repair those muscles so that you can actually come back and, and weight train again. Uh, uh, so that's one of the reasons. Number two, it's going to help you maintain your muscle mass or maybe increase your muscle mass which is going to increase your met metabolic rate slightly. So we used to say for every pound of muscle, you get, you, you get to burn an extra 35 to 50 calories. That's actually wrong. It's not that much. I wish it was that much, but for every pound <laughs> of muscle, you do get to burn about an extra six calories of, of, uh, of, uh, per, per, per pound of muscle. So, um, at the end of the day, it's not, it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you add an extra 10 pounds of muscle mass, that's an extra 60 calories per day, which, but, which is not, not that much in, in the big picture. But remember, you're also going to be burning more with everything that you're doing. When you're exercising, you're going to be burning more. When you're sleeping, you're going to be burning more. When you're walking, you're going to be burning because muscle is more metabolically active. It's, it's going to require more 
uh, energy to be able to be uh, uh, to, to keep it to keep it there. Um, so that's another benefit of that. And then, of course, uh, the obvious is you can you're obviously going to be able to. Uh, well, that's going to help you potentially eat more. Number two, which is who doesn't want to be able to eat more? You're allotted a few more calories per day. Uh, and then lastly, that's what's going to help you maintain that muscle mass. If you're losing that muscle mass, your metabolism is going to slow down over time. Um, and, and we see that when you go in, in a very high caloric deficit and you're doing only aerobic training, uh, you see your metabolism just tank down. Uh, even just going in an aggressive calorie deficit, uh, your metabolism is going to tank down and you're going to lose what you don't want to lose, which is that muscle mass. And you're not going to look, quote unquote, toned if you lose muscle mass. You're just not. Well, that brings me to another question about timelines, because, you know, with the model that we talk about every four to six weeks, we want to reevaluate someone's program. We utilize mainly movement assessments, obviously, but then we do, you know, look at uh, everything from body fat. I mean, whatever assessments we've done in the beginning, we want to reassess. So what are some realistic timelines for somebody that wants to lose body fat, but start gaining muscle? Yeah, so I, I want the the. The name to success is consistently consistency and, um, and and giving yourself enough time. So you don't want to set unrealistic timelines. And this is, you know, people do this all the time. They they want to, uh, you know, they they've they've gained 40, 50 pounds of fat, you know, from the time they were 40 to the time or the time they were 20 to the time they were 40 or 50, right? So it took them 20 or 30 years to to gain a pound or two of fat every year. Uh, and now they come to see you. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, it's my 30th year class reunion. And, you know, I want to lose 40 pounds in the next 10 weeks. Well, that's not very realistic. Uh, so this is really important to uh, actually be able to um, stay on top of this and, and set realistic timelines. So what is a realistic timeline? Uh, I go by percentage of weight and the percentage of weight that uh, you actually want to lose is about half a percent to one percent per week so if you weigh 200 pounds so half a percent to one percent of that per week is is about the high end of fat loss that you want to do because uh, number one that's gonna you're gonna be able to create a caloric deficit that's enough but you're not going to be starving yourself and you're with that you're going to be able to retain a lot of that muscle mass over time so realistically again a 200 pound person losing one percent of body fat per, or one percent of fat every week that's roughly about one and a half to two pounds per week. If you're 150 pounds, you're going to be losing between one to one and a half pounds per week. Uh, and that's kind of a, a good marker. And that's a very aggressive marker, by the way. The low end of that marker is going to be half of that. So I like to give an individual clients a range. So you go, you give them a low end range and a high end range. And then if they're kind of meeting that, that goal, that gives them a, a good landmark into what is realistic and then you just do a reverse mathematical engineering in terms of how long it's going to take them to do that right so if you're 200 pounds and you want to get down to 180 and you're going to lose between one and a half to two pounds uh, per week well now you know that you're, you're it's going to take you about 20 to 30 weeks uh i'm sorry 10 to 20 weeks to be able to do that depending on on how long um uh, how fast that fat loss process is Excellent. Dr. G, can you talk about those individuals that are in prolonged calories deficits that are doing their cardio, doing their resistance training? What happens, especially in more of a natural competitor? You know, what's the good, the bad? What are they likely to see if they're in that prolonged state? 
Yeah, so what happens after after you're in a prolonged state for, for fat loss, um, uh, there's actually been several case studies where they actually look, look at uh, natural physique competitors and they're, they're doing a, a very aggressive deficit for, for a prolonged period of, of time. Um, so in, in one study, there was a 21-year-old uh, bodybuilder and in 14 weeks, uh, the athlete was actually provided with a, a very specific uh, nutrition and, and training plan. Um, and they encouraged him to consume a variety of foods, not neglect any particular macronutrients. Uh, they, were, they were told to exercise regularly, but, but not excessively. And, and that exercise program was controlled. Uh, they incorporated appropriate rest days into the training. Uh, but in the individual loss, uh, close to 12 kilograms of fat. So that's about 25 pounds of, uh, actually not, not fat, of, of body mass. So about 25 pounds uh, total was what they lost. Uh, and in that, they actually lost uh, about seven kilograms. So roughly 15, 16 uh, pounds of that were actually fat. And the rest was actually what we don't want to lose, which is uh, fat-free mass or, or lean body mass. So you can see they lost a lot of body water, and then they also lost some of that muscle as well, uh, which is really what we want to try to avoid. And this is somebody that's doing everything right, right? They're getting uh, adequate protein, they're training right, they're, uh, they're training consistently, they're not avoiding any macronutrients, getting enough protein in, um, somebody that's experienced. So you can see that even in those individuals, uh, you can, it's, it's a very natural phenomenon, even in just a 14 week period for you to lose uh, some of that, that muscle tissue over time. Uh, what happened also, their, meta their me metabolic rate actually decreased uh, by almost uh, over 100 calories uh, per day, which is, again, it's not something that you want to do long term. So this is why you really want to create a subtle caloric deficit, not a very aggressive one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get you the results there a little bit slower, but it's going to get you there uh, for, for the long haul. And remember, one of the biggest problems that people have is weight loss is hard, but weight regain is very common among most individuals. So uh, most individuals that you see, they, they lose 20, 30 pounds over a, over a 10, 15 week period. Great. They do a great job. And then what do they do? They go back to their old habits um, and their old eating patterns, um, and then they're missing workouts. And then uh, six months later, they've gained the weight back, usually with interest. So these are some of the issues that we see. And that's where I think it's important for us to intervene and let them know that a slow, consistent approach, a lifestyle approach to, uh, to healthier fat loss is really a better approach. So they're not going on this yo-yo approach to uh, weight loss, weight regain, weight loss, weight regain. Great. Thank you for that. And Wendy, if you don't mind, I'll ask a quick follow-up question to Dr. G is, you know, NASM, here we are. Can you talk about phases one and two and why these phases are so important for this type of goal? Yeah, so, you know, I think people always want to go uh, automatically into, you know, the, the let's, let's build as much muscle as possible. But it, particularly with the clients that you're working with, if you're working with, a, with an untrained individual, uh, somebody who's new to the weight room, that's the majority of the clients. The reality is, is most people are going to be sedentary. You really want to build that foundation um, and, and that foundation, uh, the, the NASM CPT model actually allows you to be able to do that. So in, in that phase one, uh, when you're using the lighter loads uh, and you're not using excessive volume, excessive intensity, um, you're really allowing the individuals to learn appropriate technique, which is going to be critical 
for them to develop. Number one, probably avoiding injury, making sure that they have the right motor pattern. Uh, you're getting enough repetitions in so that uh, they can learn the appropriate motor pattern and you can progress that movement slowly. Uh, you can make sure that they're, they're knowing what muscles are working with what exercise, where they should be feeling certain things. You, you can also have the ability to maybe implement other components uh, of your training program because maybe they have range of motion limitations or other restrictions and you can address those during this point in time before you actually start progressing the load. Because if you don't address those things early, it's going to lead to poor technique, which is going to potentially lead to injury over time, which is going to impede your progress over time. So you want to make sure that you're learning that exercise appropriately. Uh, and it gives you a nice logical progression. Uh, and it's the foundation of everything. In phase two, it gives you a nice natural bridge to be able to uh, increase the volume and increase the intensity of the exercise, which is a great gradual progression into the next phase. Because we know that one of the drivers of muscle hypertrophy is actually driven by, by total volume that is done. So this allows you to do that, but you're still not necessarily um, pounding excessively heavier weights yet. Uh, and you can still focus on muscle endurance at this point in time uh, as well. Uh, and then that kind of leads nicely into the phase three, which is the hypertrophy phase. So now you've built that foundation, you've, you've worked on, on technique, motor patterns, you've worked on uh, potential range of motion limitations uh, or other restrictions that may be there. Um, and now you can you can actually progress the exercises uh, accordingly in that hypertrophy building phase. Thank you for that. Awesome. Well, and that kind of brings me into with you being our lead subject matter expert in the physique and bodybuilding course that NASM launched. There's some confusion, I think, about the course itself. And I think Obviously, you're the best person to ask this question for. If if a trainer doesn't really have a client that really wants to do, you know, bodybuilding, that's just not their interest. However, they want to lose fat, they want to gain muscle, they want to look better naked. Is this a good course for them? And can you kind of talk through the different components of the course and how it can correlate and and really connect with these individuals and help us as trainers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and to be honest, I mean. For most of the clients that uh, a lot of people are going to work with, um, their one of their main goals is going to be to you know they just want to look better. Um, and at, at the end of the day, the the physique bodybuilding program um, and course is designed to help people look better. Now it might be taken to the next level where they may actually want to uh, do a photo shoot, be on stage, be competitive, um, and you don't necessarily need to go to that last step of going on stage or going for that photo shoot, but the principles to get there are actually exactly the same. Um, because uh, one of the things that uh, physique bodybuilders want to look for is you want to, you want to have symmetry, you want to have proportion, which is going to help the body kind of flow nicely, right? It's like, you don't, you know, you don't want to look uh, out of balance with yourself. So if you have, you know, excellent pecs and excellent biceps, but you have no back, uh, that doesn't look so good aesthetically. If you have a phenomenal upper body and no legs, that doesn't look so good aesthetically. So uh, one of the principles of the uh, physique and bodybuilding program is kind of uh, making sure that you're training in a balanced fashion so you can, you can create that aesthetic look and that aesthetic look kind of gives you um, what, what most people are after. You obviously want to present at some point in lower levels of body fat. Well, the physique bodybuilding program teaches you the principles that even the highest level individuals are actually approaching. Again, you're doing the same thing, 
the process doesn't look different. It just means of how far are you taking it, right? So you want, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you two examples. A physique bodybuilding competitor, male competitor may need to get down to, you know, three or four or 5% body fat to, to be successful in, in, in their competitive nature. Uh, your, your average Joe client doesn't need to get there. However, if they're 20% body fat or 25% body fat, they could probably afford to get down to 12% body fat. And the principles to get there, to get an individual from 12% body fat down to five are the same principles that you get someone from 20 down to 10% uh, percent body fat. So you're gonna learn some of those principles. It's, it's just uh, at the end of the, of the spectrum for the bodybuilding bodybuilder, you're just pushing it a little bit further, pushing the limits a little bit more. It's gonna take a little more time to get there. Same thing for the building muscle part. A bodybuilder is gonna require more time uh, to be able to build that muscularity um, and it's going to require maybe a little more attention to detail um, uh, to, to dotting every I and crossing every T. Uh, for the average Joe, you, same principles are going to apply, but maybe you don't need to go to that final extreme. But you understanding what it takes, you can now actually kind of customize um, and you can start with certain principles that you can, you can work with. And then depending on um, the, the goals of that individual, you can now actually... Uh, apply more or apply less, but your toolbox is now bigger and you can implement those tools accordingly to really get your clients to be successful. Uh, again, and we talk about diet, we talk about supplementation, we talk about cardiovascular training, we talk about recovery, uh, we talk about uh, obviously nutrition, all of the macronutrients, we talk about micronutrients. So we have all of these tools that are very important to pay attention to and whether you're gonna compete or not, the principles still stay the same. It's just a matter of to what level are you pushing that individual? Well, I take the course and I personally loved it because, you know, I, I've obviously taken pretty much every course that NASM offered. So I always find new information, super helpful. And there was a lot of little nuggets in there that I'm like, oh man, I forgot about this, or this was a really good reminder, or they, the way that you guys went in depth into a lot of those topics that you discussed, I think was, it, it was very, very well done. And I, and I am a very hard critic just so you know, but um, Dr. G, I could, you know, we could talk to you all day and I know that you have things to do, but I think it's really important for us to bring up. I know um, our producer, Eric is going to put up a graphic and it's a graphic talking about beyond the abstract. And that's something that you do on the NASM performance channel on Instagram so while that's being put up, can you, you know, talk through what is beyond the abstract? When do you do it? And, you know, what, what's the purpose actually? Yeah, absolutely. So beyond the abstract is, is actually a, a, an awesome um, a podcast live that we do on Instagram live with, at the NASM performance session. So I, I do a collaborative session with NASM performance and, and my channel, which is at Dr. G fit. Um, and, uh, we do it typically every two weeks. So our next episode is actually going to be on uh, Friday, uh, the 22nd. So a week from tomorrow. And here we're going to actually bring one of my friends uh, who is Nick Rolnick. He's actually one of the, the leading experts on blood flow restriction training. He's a physical therapist. And we're going to talk about some of the nuances on there. But in all of these different um, um, sessions, what we do is we break down a study uh, or uh, any other peer-reviewed literature. So sometimes we break down narrative, or not narrative reviews, uh, we may break down a meta-analysis, so different types of studies or uh, original research studies. And often people just read the abstract, which is just, you know, the, 
the very basic, you know, uh, one paragraph summary of what it is, which is not bad. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I read abstracts too, but we dive beyond that abstract and we dive deep into the literature and we go into uh, what's the background of the study? Why did, the, why did they do the study? What question were they trying to answer? What kind of methodology did they use to try to answer the question? Uh, what are some of the limitations in the methodology? Uh, even though the study says this and kind of highlights the, the, the big picture, what are, what are some things that we can really extrapolate uh, from this particular study? Does it actually apply to me? Does it apply to my population, the people that I work with? Um, we also look at the statistical analysis that was utilized. Again, what kind of limitations do we see from there? And then we look at also uh, what other future questions can we, do we need answered or can we maybe, or have been answered from this particular study um, that, that we, we can look at? And then again, what can we glean from that particular study? So it really kind of gives us a deep dive into the literature, the current literature uh, in the exercise science. And we cover everything uh, relate, we, we cover sometimes aerobic training, we cover range of motion training, uh, we cover uh, building muscle, we will co cover building strength, uh, we cover nutrition, dietary supplements. So last week we actually covered a topic on creatine. Um, we've covered uh, collagen uh, protein supplementation. Uh, we're gonna be talking in a couple of weeks on uh, the impossible burger. So this is basically looking at a vegan source of a burger versus a beef burger. Um, and uh, sometimes I break down studies or sometimes I bring out other guests that are actually the investigators that have, that have done that study. And then we'll ask some questions uh, related to uh, some of their findings. Uh, so it's a very fun uh, event. We usually have a lot of people drop in. Uh, you can ask questions. And then uh, uh, the last thing that we really try to do is what's the take home message? What are the practical applications that we can glean? Because sometimes people read science and then they're like, well, but, what does that mean for me or my clients? So what we like to do is bring that take home message. It's like, what can I actually draw from this that's gonna be applicable for my clients? So uh, that's what the Beyond the Abstract is. Uh, as you saw, we, we typically go every couple of weeks. Um, we've been trying to go on Wednesdays recently, but uh, we, we're gonna be, sometimes we, we switch days, but it's usually uh, in the mornings, uh, Pacific Standard Time or early afternoons in the Eastern Standard Time. And again, it's in the NASM Performance channel. You can just log in live. The cool thing is we record it. So if you miss the live, you can go back in and you can go to the NASM Performance channel and you can read, uh, you can listen to the, to the whole podcast there or the whole live session uh, and you can see what questions were answered. Uh, so it's a, it's a great, great way. Uh, I interact with, with Tony and uh, we have a good time uh, talking science. Yes, and you guys do such a great job. If Again, it's on NASM Performance on Instagram. Be sure to tune in because I know for me, it helps me understand research. And Marty and I talk about the importance of understanding research, having the rationales to the why questions you know that you're going to be getting. So if you're really uncertain about some of those whys, be sure to tune in for, for that because I think you guys do a phenomenal job. And I was really glad when they decided they were going to start doing that with you because um, you do it. Excellent job. So before we end it, and as you said, you have to talk about, you know, what is the key takeaways and what is the most important thing we should have gotten out of today. So Dr. G, the final question that we have for you is what would be the top things that you want to leave us with if somebody wants to know how to look good naked? All right. So number one, how to, how to look good naked. Number one is don't be afraid of food. You have to eat. Food is your friend. 
Um, and, and you can't, even, even if you have to create a caloric deficit, you still have to eat. You just have to eat uh, the, the right quantity of things um, and uh, the right quality of things over time. Uh, number two is make sure that you're doing resistance training. If you're not weight training at least three days a week, uh, you're doing it wrong. You're not going to look good naked uh, doing less resistance training than, than three days a week. Um, it's really important to make sure that you can uh, spread your workouts in over time. Uh, cardio is also an important component of it, but don't over cardio. In fact, if you have to choose between resistance training and cardio, choose resistance training uh, 100% of the time. Um, you can create cardiovascular exercise is just another a way to create a caloric deficit and you can create a caloric deficit by just eating a little bit less. Uh, that being said, cardiovascular exercise is important for other reasons and you should incorporate it. So I'm not saying don't do it, uh, but you, you shouldn't be doing hours and hours of cardio. Uh, so, you know, uh, 20 to 40 minutes of cardio, three to five days a week is probably all you need on, on, the, on the high end of things. Um, and then your weight training, again, minimum three, preferably four or five days per week would be a great, great approach um, to be able to do that. Be patient. Uh, be, being patient is very important. Uh, you're not going to look good naked overnight. So give yourself plenty of time to set these realistic timelines um, and uh, make sure that you're progressing uh, accordingly your programs. Because if you're, if you're not progressing and you're not doing progressive overload, you're kind of uh, spinning your wheels. And I'm going to also say one thing. Uh, with regards to your training, yes, you should change your exercise selection, but don't change your exercise selection every workout or every week. You know, give yourself, uh, you should be able to learn particular movement patterns and then stay on those movement patterns. So choose a, a workout and then stick to that workout for minimum four weeks, maybe eight, maybe even 12 weeks and progress that workout and then switch things up over time. Unless, of course, there's an exercise not working for you, you need to modify something because you have an injury or something. But uh, other than that, you should really try to stick to the to the workout um, uh, program for, for a, a, a period of time, a minimum of four weeks, um, you know, maybe even up to 10 or 12 weeks if things are working and then progress the workout accordingly with more repetitions, more weight uh, or alternating rest periods. Uh, but you don't need to do a different exercise every single workout because then you're not progressing at all. You need, you need to, 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 to do progressive overload you need to do the same exercise over time uh, at least have exercises that are consistently the same okay. awesome well thank you so much dr g you gave us a lot of great points great wrap up there we can't thank you enough wendy great idea i love the topic as always you come up with some great names for these things so most importantly thank you all for whoever joined us today on the master instructor roundtable we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule and we will always look forward to seeing you again next week.